This episode is sponsored by Stanford Modern. Visit cherish.com slash shop slash Stanford Modern to decorate your home with fine 20th century furniture. This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. It seems Americans have always looked to British homes for inspiration. From Queen Anne to Georgian to arts and crafts, the many styles that Brits have embraced have also found an enthusiastic audience on the other side of the Atlantic. But if you're a British designer yourself, can all that history come to seem daunting? How do you not become overwhelmed by five centuries of design? Can you create anything distinctive? How do you make work that is special and move design ahead, even as it acknowledges the past? I have with me today principles from two London-based design firms that are bringing fresh energy, vivid palettes, and a youthful spirit to British interiors, taking traditional forms, furnishings, and details, and making them relevant to young families and for realms far beyond the stately country house. First up are Bunny Turner and Emma Pocock, who formed their firm in 2007. Their colorful yet streamlined take on classic English style in both city apartments and country homes has won them acclaim from British House and Garden and Country Life magazines and the Sunday Times of London. And they have collaborated with Christopher Farr, designed a collection of bobbin furniture for Chelsea Textiles, and created a line of upholstery pieces for Lorford's. Hello, Bunny. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And hello, Emma. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Good. Thank you for being here. I'm also so pleased to welcome Mary Graham and Nicole Salveson of Salveson Graham, who founded their firm in 2013. Known for bringing a fresh eye and a soft color palette to traditional rooms, the duo is inspired by the classic lines of Georgian furniture and the lively patterns of 18th and 19th century Indian textiles and chintzes. They've also been widely published and have created their own line of furniture, lighting, and home accessories. Welcome, Mary. Hi there. Thank you for having us. And hello, Nicole. Hi. I am so glad all of you are here. Because I think that, you know, we Americans love British design. We love the Brits. We love a British accent. But I think there's a, a perception in the U.S. and the design community that designers who grow up in Britain have a very different educational background and sense of history than American designers. So I'd love to get a sense from each of you. And maybe we'll, we'll start with you, Emma and Bunny, about what's your background and how you became aware of design. Did you, as a child, go to fairs and and antique stores? Did you tour stately homes? How did you first get interested in design and how did you get your sense of how vast British design history is? We were talking about the topic of today's conversation earlier this afternoon and I think Emma and I have both always talked about how sort of lucky we were to be raised by mothers that were interested in design and we grew up respectively in modest but beautifully considered spaces. And my mother had a particular penchant for pattern, fabric, textiles. And I think her sort of love of that and the constant flow of swatches through our house. Um, she was a bit of a magpie. 
loved finding unusual things. And I can remember actually, we, we all as children have very fond memories of individual pieces of furniture. And in fact, one of the sofas in um, our kitchen sitting room at home became so sort of treasured and fought over by me and my siblings that it ended up being a bit of an inspiration behind one of the Lawford's pieces. And mum used to take us to things like house sales, which when we were little, you know, big stately homes were sold from families and the entire contents, you know, hunting boots alongside beautiful Georgian chests of drawers were laid out on the lawns for, for you to go and sift through and mumble all sorts of things from those places. So, yeah, I think my childhood upbringing had a huge impact on my interest in design and I think accumulating a sort of language and sensibility. But I think at the core of, of all of that was this sense of comfort um, that you took from the environment that you were in. You know, mum wasn't really about pomp and circumstance. It was about creating, inviting, comfortable spaces that had a bit of a narrative and story. And I think that's really carried through in the work that we do. I think about half of our listeners just turned green with envy <laughs> hearing that kind of background, I have to tell you. What about you, Emma? Yeah, I think it's it's very much to do with os- osmosis for us, us British people. You know, it's not discussed, but it more often than not, you are going to be living in a house that is at least 100 years old, if not older, of which we were both brought up. We probably were all brought up in houses mm. that are that old. So you just are naturally used to the the architectural detailing of a Georgian or a Victorian home often. And a lot of the homes were were very, very old and then added, particularly country houses, and then added on to. And you really grew up knowing that these were old houses with old details in. And so you didn't really have to be taught about it. It was just something that you were used to. Mm-hmm. And Nicole, what about you? Was, did you have formal design education or was it the osmosis that they were saying? How did that work for you? I'm not quite sure about um, Bunny and Emma, but Mary and I both went to a design school in So you did have London. formal design yeah, education. Yeah, but post-university, okay. post it wasn't right. a sort of full, full university right. course. Um, and that, I think, mainly really taught you how to explain design to your clients rather than to how to design necessarily. I think you had to go to that with with some sort of design aesthetic and right. in, innate inside you already. I mean, uh, really similar to Bunny's description of sort of, and I still go back to my my mother's home now, and it's not necessarily how we are designing and it's, you know, but it's just full of creativity. And I think that's where we certainly come from for with our designs. It's grounded on historical detailing, but actually we're just, you know, we, we enjoy being creative and, and I used to, paint my walls constantly I was I've got four brothers so I was the sort of they were off doing other things I'm not gonna say they were doing sport and I was doing (laughs) (laughs) I was doing that too Uh, right and Mary what about you I know you studied formally design after you studied design did you then work with other designers apprentice that way like that's often the way it happens in the U.S. So I was definitely one of the children that got not dragged actually willingly I probably dragged my parents to stately homes every weekend, avid National Trust uh, members. Um, so definitely from my early childhood, historic houses has always been like a huge passion of mine. And then I did history and architecture at university as well. So, and then I worked for English Heritage actually. So the love of historic houses has been something from sort of day one. But then I, after studying interior design, went to work for a designer who was very much trained in the old fashioned 
English decorating style, very based on antique soft furnishings, period properties. So had a huge, wonderful, yeah, informal apprenticeship, but it very much felt like an apprenticeship to me. And she was very much a mentor. Now, in the United States, a lot of us are young, a lot of young people, and when I was young, there's this tendency to rebel against what you were brought up with. You know, it's like, I always, I used to joke that people, young people rebel against their parents' design and often look to their grandparents' design. Definitely. Um, And, uh, you know, there is a British tradition of, like, did any of you ever think about, you know, I'm going to go all white John Pawson, I mean, the, you know, the British international style that was very important. Um, Or is it, were you guys, you know, total traditionalists? I think there's a real tension in the Turner Pocock sort of aesthetic, actually, between a sort of modern minimalism, weirdly, you don't see it play out, particularly in our interiors, and a more sort of maximalist approach. I mean, our firm was born out of the beige generation who Mm -hmm. had fantastic women leaders in business. So people like Kelly Hoppen, Taylor Howes, amazing designers, but they were so unfamiliar to Emma and I, the sort of neutral, impersonal backdrop that were very much catering to an international clientele that wanted a hotel environment in their home. And for it to not matter whether they were in the Middle East, America or the UK, it all sort of felt generic and the same and there was comfort to them in that. Mm -hmm. And for us, that felt very strange. So I think when we started the company, goodness, it feels like a long time ago now, 15 years ago, we were sort of pushing back against that because it felt uncomfortable and finding our sort of language somewhere apart from it. And that very much was driven by um, a sort of conversation around colour. And actually, Emma's background was working for Henrietta Spencer Churchill for a time. And doing that taught her a lot of very traditional methods about braiding, taping, lining, how to upholster in interesting ways. And we sort of took the experience of her working there and brought that into a more sort of refined, I suppose, um, contrasting, uh, paired back language, if you like. So traditional skills, but in a fresher way. Absolutely. And with colour, you know, it was very important that. But having said that, what was interesting is that, and the tension still remains, actually, that the northern designers, the sort of Axel Vervoorts, who are quite minimalist, you know, Mm -hmm. you can have a single piece of furniture Mm -hmm. in a room and the space and texture and patina speaks volumes, um, still really lures us. And there are moments, blessedly, in design where we have chances to sort of exercise that style a bit <laughs> right which is nice i mean the joy of having a company like like all of ours is that in fact you know every commission is different and so you can be dexterous and move around a bit within your sort of creative language and space yeah to be really informed by the house that you're working on is already is a joy exactly. as well right i'm going to make a generalization here based on basically just on what i've seen on your websites and the interiors that i can i've seen online and in magazines and I would say that, Mary and Nicole, your aesthetic is perhaps a little bit more truly traditional than Emma and Bunny's. Because actually looking at your website, Emma, there's a lot of white rooms, you know, which you don't, yeah. we don't think of as being particularly British. Whereas uh, Mary and Nicole, your rooms are, to me, generally seem incredibly soft and very pale colors, but very enveloping. And I think that's such an interesting 
direction that you both are very successful, obviously, and doing that. So I'd love to get a sense from, let's start with you, Nicole and Mary. What do your clients come to you looking for? Do they come to you for that traditional soft look or do they? I, yeah, they, a lot of our clients are living in period homes. A lot of them are inheriting homes that have been lived in um, for generations and maybe not touched. So it's their chance to sort of make their mark, update things, but do it in a sensitive way. So I think that's one of the things they really look to for us is guidance on how to sensitively bring an older house up to the present day, which often involves changes in layout because we don't eat in the way that we used to eat in terms of you don't have staff serving you in a dining room that's miles away from the kitchen. And you might have kids lounging about watching telly or doing homework in the place that you want to eat. So a lot of it comes down to, I think, sensitive reconfiguring of older houses. But then also, like you were saying earlier, going back to the nostalgia and the comfort of maybe your grandparents' home. We have so many clients that say, actually, what we really want is to feel like our bedroom, you know, we want our kids to have the bedroom that we grew up in, like that nursery feeling, quite old fashioned. Um, And same with bathrooms. Most of our clients want the rooms to feel like rooms that have bathing paraphernalia in them rather than a bathroom. So yeah, I, I think a lot of it comes down to sensitivity and combining that love of English style with modern living and making things work for, for how families live today. When a client comes to us and says, you know, I, my grandmother's house was decorated by you know, Paul and Fowler and, you know, now I want you to help me help my house look the same. That's it must it. be a bit intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, a fresher take. So I think in that sense, it's, you know, that's often what our clients, but I think largely... I, and and I, you know, absolutely think this is what we're all four of us are doing when it's with our interiors. You know, it's comfort. You know, that's that's what an English interior is really based on, is this really comfortable, um, you know, cosy feel of a house and that, you know, every room feels approachable. And I think that's what's really important when we are creating a home and, and really important um, element of what our clients are looking for when they come to us to do their interior design. The weather's so miserable, yeah. except yeah. for this summer. Exactly. <laughs> so you need You're going to spend a lot of time it. indoors, yeah. right? So we have to make all our, we, we put carpets in our bathrooms. I mean, all our European, all our European clients still are like, you do what? Yeah. There's a mixture <laughs> like of sort of horror and intrigue when you suggest a carpet in a bathroom. They don't quite know what to say. Yeah, that's, and I think that's still unacceptable for most, most clients in the US. You know, it's like, oh. I don't know about that. But it was an American that first introduced it as well. You know, blame Nancy Lancaster. She she created yeah. or refined the English country style, yeah, mm. and loved a carpet in a bathroom. So, mm. you know, we'll we'll bat that one back to you. I think the colour point that you made is really relevant. Ems, why don't you talk about that? Because I, I know I could talk about it a lot, like as in why our interiors are the colours they are. Well, I think I think coming off the back of people like Kelly Hoppen, really no one was doing very colourful interiors at all. And we really did start doing colourful interiors, but it but it was a long time before 
the the revival of, of very traditional feeling fabrics that we've got being used at the moment. You know, I reckon at least seven, eight years before anyone <laughs> went anywhere near a flower. Mm-hmm. And so what we what we started doing was bringing in very saturated colours. So we did very dark rooms, really quite sort of inspired by Northern Europe, as Bun said. But then we sort of added in flashes of colour and bright and pattern, but again, more slightly more sort of hicksy mid-century patterns then. And so I think what, what our interiors are is very much a, a mixture of of different eras we we have nods from from arts and crafts from from mid-century for and then you know architecturally we're often quite traditional so so I think that's how we make it a, a modern livable thing we we really mix all of the different interiors to suit a house or a family or a lifestyle part of our conversations leading up to this as well you know that actually that's what an English interior really is you know it's such a mix of you know interiors and aesthetics that have come around through generations because the houses are so much older so you know things have been you know you so rarely will get a purely Georgian house or a purely you know maybe Queen Victorian because it's a new but you know because actually things have been added and changed and adapted and so I think actually that's what's so nice for us about um you know mm. decorating um English houses and in an English aesthetic yeah. whether it's an English or around the world yeah it's expected and it's so nice that we can utilize different um periods of furniture and um in you know interior elements yeah yeah and you can add truly modern feeling mm. rooms you can paint something very white I mean mm. there are different whites that we would use here than you would use in Florida because the same whites would feel mm. terrible here right. but the light is so but, different yeah, exactly. But you, um, but I think, yeah, you can, you can, you can add them all it together gives you and license. Sort of mash them up. Yeah. And I think that's what's so nice. Often when we have people that are inheriting homes and they're nervous about, you know, modernizing too much or putting, you know, what people always say, you know, put your stamp on the building or the interior, that actually the joy of the English country house style is that's what every generation did. Someone went on a grand tour and came back with, you know, racy nude sculptures from Italy. And it was a crazy thing. And everyone in the local county came to have a look. So why not nowadays someone put some amazing contemporary art in or paint a room, high gloss lacquer, you know, you can kind of do whatever you want as long as it's good quality and you're doing it with conviction. And actually that's, you know, that gives us all license to be really creative, but still within the the sort of confines of the English country style. Do you love mid-century quirks and features? It's tricky to fit vintage and antique furniture into contemporary spaces. That's why Stamford Modern designed a line of mid-century inspired furniture with authentic details and fine modern finishes. Visit cherish.com slash shop slash Stamford Modern to see what's in stock and ready to ship. Which brings up another question that I want to ask you, you know, how much of your design is based upon the architecture of the house? Because I love historic houses. I love old houses. But uh, London is filling up with glass towers. Do you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of people live in newly built, developer-built things, even in London, even in in other cities in in Britain. So is that something that's more of a challenge for you? I mean, you don't have to (laughs) retrofit everything with Wi-Fi, like you would do with an old house. But Mm -hmm. 
how how do you adapt that look? Nicole, how, how would you do that? I mean, I think, again... Have of, you had to do it, I guess? Yes, we've had to do it. Question. Yeah, we have. We've done it um, quite a few times. And, and actually, it's really fun because it's a, it's a different challenge, which um, is really exciting. But essentially, our interiors are full of, you know, they're more sort of layered and patterned. And so you, if you bring that layering and texture into a new build property or a, you know, glass apartment, then you can still create that warmth and comfort. You just have to, if if it doesn't have any architectural detailing and it's possible to add architectural detailing, detailing then obviously we do that. But, you know, if it doesn't have um, and can't have cornice, then we'll put a tape around the room or, you know, you, you have to create the architectural details in a different way with that layering and pattern. So it is, it's definitely a possible thing to do. I think we tend to respect the architecture mm. of the building we're, we're doing mm. normally. Not always. And sometimes it's that we have to persuade the client to do that. But if we're doing a Georgian house, we will make sure that we try and have Georgian detailing in it. And likewise, in a modern flat, we would probably keep our interior architecture very simple and then bring in the comfort and the more traditional elements that we naturally would choose in in different ways in, you know, huge, comfortable sofas or whatever. That's our natural instinct of how to deal with different period houses. Because here, you know, at the moment, we're working on an arts and crafts house, a Georgian house, a modern house. You know, it's different. Every project is different mm. here mm. because there are so many of them and it's so right. varied. Mm. But, Bunny, would you say like a modern, let's say you got an assignment to do, let's say a huge apartment because we want you to be very <laughs> successful, but a huge apartment <laughs> and a glass tower. And it's, you know, got glass on all sides. Is that something? No, I think we would love to do it, actually. I think we do have a sort of, our, our, our style has got a bit of a contemporary edge to it. So you can take it that way easily. What's interesting, I think, actually, is when you're working with a a, a house that needs to be extended in London or in the country, and it's a historic house. And there's a conversation about sort of modern living practicalities and what this extension is going to look like. And that for Emma and I is the first time that there usually is a tension between the architecture of the new and the old. So do you make it seem like a seamless move into that space or do you delineate this new chapter for the building and the family and create something really modern and glass boxy and that's quite an interesting sort of combination of things to have to deal with when you're working on a project and in London that happens quite a lot you have the sort of main historic fabric of the building and then often we encourage clients to do quite a modern side return extension that feels very obviously different and in that space you're sort of ending up having to use every arm of your approach to design because within that space you're likely to sort of have more contemporary furniture whereas in the rest of the house we're probably going to be taking things more traditional and that's quite uh, a sort of funnily enough in some ways more challenging than the glass box model where I think you can go with quite a cohesive Mm, yeah when you're trying to combine the two we have quite strict regulations here for listed buildings. And actually, sometimes I find that quite enjoyable, the restriction that's placed upon you because it forces you to be more creative. And we've definitely had out of some quite challenging moments when planners or Historic England have said you can't do X, Y and Z, particularly around things like bathrooms and plumbing in an old house. But you think, well, you know, OK, this is what I've got to work within. But my client really wants 
whether it's, I don't know, an ensuite bathroom or a shower in this room or whatever it is. And it forces you to like use every ounce of your creativity and often practicality as well to to make that work for the client whilst working within the the parameters of the historic guidelines. And actually, in a weird way, I find that quite challenging and rewarding. Um, and I quite like that that you're being kind of forced and contained like mm. that. And I think it's why we're all interior designers, not architects. Architects love to sort of start from the beginning and start mm. from scratch. And I think we, I like to fix a problem and work out how to make it the best yeah. that it can be when faced with a field and it was the the one that Bunny was talking about was in a place in England where they didn't really care what it was going to look like yeah you know that's pretty alarming yeah you could just do anything um, I was going to say as well regards to being met with a different type of property often your client is coming to you because they've been met with a different type of property than the property they thought they were going to end up with so whether that be someone that you know, thought they were going to end up in a mansion block in Kensington or something, and they've ended up in a, you know, in Borough in a new build apartment, you know, and they, so they therefore want to have those architectural or sort of like interesting details put in, can't get it from the architecture, but we'll do it, like you say, sympathetically to the architecture, but to create something. Or, you know, we've got a gorgeous client at the moment who's bought an arts and crafts house, which is amazing and will be really fabulous but <laughs> she was expecting a wafty Georgian house so she she didn't yeah. know how to you know yeah. so she looked and thought, I, I, she was thinking tall ceilings and and lots of light and and she's got low ceilings and not very much light <laughs> and big vases of flowers on her yeah exactly exactly yeah. and now she's got different. Gertrude Jekyll and, and yeah, Lutchens yeah, to work literally. with you know? and I think and suddenly I think everyone must be buying arts and crafts houses because we've you know not really done very many in over the years and have got lots at the moment you know and actually the the house we've just been out doing in the U.S. is an arts and crafts house as well so I think it is that it it is just often that someone ends up in a house that they weren't expecting mm. because you know and so get the dream in a different way we're so lucky that actually whatever house you work from, if you want to decorate it in the style of that house, there's just a plethora of design, you know, resources that you can use. And actually, most periods of English design, I think, have got something pretty great to commend them. So I don't think you're ever left with a, you know, dud, a dud option. Now, because we're not living in the era, era where the arts and crafts houses are created, you know, you don't necessarily want to be surrounded. So that is where, you know, that is where the design goes on. That's how we freshen it because you don't want to be completely necessarily a slave to. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes, yeah. I, I always say nobody mm. wants to live in a historic house. Mm. They want to live in their house, yeah. you know, at this time in the 21st mm. century. But that doesn't mean, and I particularly love arts and crafts houses. So there's things that you take from it. I'd love to get a sense. I because I was interested to see, Emma and Bunny, on your website, you reference some designers that you look to and like. And you mentioned two American designers, which I thought was so interesting, uh, Kelly Wurstler and Stephen Gambrell. And I'd love to get a sense from you guys of what you think of American design, who you look to in American design, what you see the difference between British and American design at the moment. So why don't we start with you, Emma? Oh, I think we're hugely inspired by American designers. I think it's often to do with the houses that they get to play with, this great scale. And I think the very fact that we were all brought up in these houses is possibly what constricts us. And the American designers are much less constricted often. 
Kelly Werther's just so brave. She's brilliant and she's and and obviously she's a hugely modern designer and it's not really the style that it it looks nothing like our style but right. we would look at her before every project. F- just you know we'll be flicking through books of hers because she just it, she's just incredibly brave and and inspiring in that sense. Stephen Gambrell is just he he uses the the detail his detailing. I think that's one of the things we we've been described in British press as being quite American feeling as a designer in England. And um and I think it's the finishing details that we admire so much uh, that Americans do so brilliantly. The English are def I think probably a little bit more sloppy in a on a general sense, which gives it a kind of a, ca- a more casual feel. But the the yeah the detailing of the finishing finishes from an American designer is always to be admired. And we can be a bit lazy because we've got all those details. So you're not you're not forced to create them. Whereas we heard Stephen Gambrell speaking once and saying that's actually one of the things he loves about the fact that a lot of American houses don't really have any detail. Is he's the man to then you know, create it and let your imagination run wild. And and really, I mean, I think we would totally agree with you, his attention to detail and that combination of really kind of combining architectural detail with decoration. And colour and and his colour. Now, I'd like to ask you all about sourcing because you all love Georgian furniture, arts and crafts. Where do you find the furniture and the, the fabrics that you look for. I mean, as we know, the design world has changed so much. Clients, everybody are online. Everybody's looking at everything online. So, Bunny, where do you you guys start, you and Emma? I think if we're trying to find um, things with sort of patina and age, well, historically, we used to go to fantastic antiques fairs in this country. There are two in particular, Ardingley and Kempton. But sadly, since Brexit, the world has changed. And actually, a lot of the European dealers who used to come over with casual vans full of wonderful things are no longer there. I don't know if you guys have been to Ardingley recently, but it's amazing. I mean, it's shrunk to a quarter of the size. So I look more and more to auction catalogues. And, you know, they don't necessarily need to be highbrow auction catalogues. Brown furniture in this country has been at a historic low in terms of value. So it's a great place to make a start for for clients showing them, you know, things online that are available. And it's also somewhere, you know, I'm a terrible, as I've said, magpie and have followed in my mother's footsteps. And this weekend, actually, a giant pair of pink marble obelisks arrived. And my husband was like, what are those? I went, they've been there for ages, ages and ages. So yeah, I think you can find amazing things in these collector's sales that are the equivalent of the old house sales that we used to go out on big house lawns. There are amazing towns that are dedicated, dedicated to antiques. So going to Lawford's Hangers and Tetbury. And the other thing that we try and do is we try and use antique textiles in a lot of our projects. So we have dealers that if we're looking for specific things, they can add a real layer of interest, even if they're casually thrown on the back of a sofa, that gives something complete originality. They're not bought by the meter. No one else can get the same thing. 
but they're a sort of trick that we use a lot to, to sort of give yeah. that vintage feel to a space. But we really do mix the ages of the furniture that we use. So we would use a lot of modern furniture within, and whether that be modern designed, you know, special design furniture or just very simple furniture that is new. And we might upholster it in an antique antique textiles so it suddenly becomes something that it wasn't before we we would always try and budget reliant we would always try and use well-made things you know our Lawford's collection we did it with them because they make beautiful handmade or you know traditional technique made sofas and we wanted a modern sofa made like that so that we knew it would last forever but yeah, we do we, it, because it's such a mix. We really go to Julian Chichester as well and Chelsea Textiles, you know, in each room. But the obvious suppliers are sort of easy for clients to relate to, or sort of they've seen lots of. It's in educating them, I think, about the stuff that layers up to make for an interesting room. You know, I sort of often reflect on what makes a room interesting, and it's the sort of. But m- I think that is the multi collection of all the mm. different. Exactly, layers. it's the sort of multi-dimensionality to it. So the layering, the fact you're—it's it, a very, very fine line between being able to sit a, in a room and and your sort of eye not settle on things because there's just lots and lots of interest in it being too much. Mm. So you have to kind of find a bit of a line between the two. We always find that um, the Pimlico Road in London is still. It's a great place to source, but it's also a great place to take clients just to get their eye into various different sort of styles of decorating. So, you know, you've got wonderful and obviously sadly now departed Robert Kine, but his showroom is just, uh, you know, a genius sort of display of, of English decorating. But then you've got Sewn, which is a slightly crisper, more pared back version of that. It's still eclectic. It's still missing styles. But someone who maybe finds the Robert Keim look too cluttered um, might go more for Sewn. Or you go down the road to Rose Uniac and it's even more pared back. You know, But you've got all these people that have beautiful, well-made products, which I think goes back to what Emma was saying. It can be any era any style as long as it's good quality and they can all be mixed together so that's we're very lucky in a lazy way that that's a great street that has sort of something for everyone on it and Colfax obviously and and we we chatted to quite a few American designers Mm. recently and it was amazing how many of them all sourced from the Pimlico Road which we were sort of, I don't know, felt rather proud that um, out of all the great yeah. places available to them, they, they choose to come here. That's sort of fascinating, but I think isn't it? it shows <laughs> the quality of, yeah, of, you know, British craftsmanship still, that, mm. you know, people from all around the world look to, look to a lot of our antique dealers and furniture makers and textile designers. I think maybe we take it all for granted. I assume that's a sort of easy mm. bit of the journey because, mm. you know, anyone can walk in off the street. It's the sort of hidden gems yeah. that are harder to come by. But maybe maybe we assume too much. Whether it's the client from the US who's got, got a project here or, you know, an English client or, or even if it's a client who we're working with in the US or internationally and they come here for a sort of a meeting and we do that. It's so interesting seeing that different reaction and getting the thoughts that they have on it. And it's always different, you know, how people want to interpret it. It's more a psychological, you're not really shopping for things. It's a psychological exercise to see how people react to the different things that you expose them to. 
and and if they sort of recoil in horror of the clutter and mishmash somewhere or or if they really lean into it so it's a it's a good way to um without someone articulating it verbally to just see their reactions to different different styles well it, it's interesting because we don't have pimlico road <laughs> no. in the u.s so i think a lot of it is done by pinterest yeah. i mean all the designers i've talked to so they they have clients coming in with hundreds yeah. of pinterest pages or whatever and they have to sort through because we don't mm. have that those kind of mm-hmm. sensibilities so yeah. clearly displayed we do we that have, too you know, the they come here don't worry <laughs> they can't oh, come okay here. Good. that's good to know that'll make our <laughs> audience feel better so you're all so steeped in history, which, you know, I think is such a wonderful thing. And I think design education and understanding history and going to house museums and historic homes is, is so educational. And it's an advantage that you have that, I mean, we have some of that in the U.S. I don't mean to minimize that, but I think you guys grow up in it. But I'd love to get a sense from you what your clients and what you're looking at now. I mean, I was fascinated that you said arts and crafts. You're doing many more arts and crafts. And I think that's starting even per. Uh, penetrate into the U.S. There's a greater interest in arts and crafts, period, and those designers and the furnishing. So I'd love to get a sense of what you're looking at now as you're thinking to move design ahead. Because, you know, design does move ahead. There are fashions that come and go. So maybe we'll start with you, Emma. Uh, Well, I was just going to say, I think that it's generational. I think that's why we're all doing the arts and craft houses, because it, very interestingly, Bunny Bunny moved into a house, a, a Georgian house, and a friend of mine rung up and said, Who, who's doing up this house? And she said, that used to be my granny's house. And sort of 10 years ago, everyone was moving into all of our generation's granny's houses, which are were tended to be Georgian, it seemed. And we suddenly seemed to be in a new generational cycle where people sort of are, are, I say that, sort of 40-ish, seem to be moving into the arts and crafts houses in the UK. And we don't have the same space that you have in the US, so you can't build in the same way. Yes, you know, you can do new builds and people do find lands to do new builds, but it's not so common. So I think that actually, therefore, you there are only so many houses of certain scales and sizes available, and that's what people are looking for. I'm going to forecast something because I think I can remember saying to Emma, I think we're going to have coated chintzes. Do you remember me saying that to you? And you went, no, we're not. We're definitely not. This is yeah. about 10 years ago. And I went, I bet you we have coated chintzes back. In fact, in the <laughs> Colfax room at the Wow House, there is there was a fuchsia fabric on the sofa. Did you see that? That was a coated linen. Yeah. That my my parents still have as their curtains in the spare room at home. Yeah. So that was quite a We're of, doing Whoa. a whole bedroom in it coming up. Yeah. We're doing a bedroom with it on the walls, on the bed, yeah. on the curtains. It's one of our favourites. Full 360 <laughs> yeah. for me. So I think there will be, not quite yet, but I do foresee a sort of pairing back from the maximalism that we're at at the moment. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And Mm. only certain... We've seen a lot of wallpaper. Wallpaper will always, always be part of, I think, the English way of bringing, sort of creating cosy spaces. But it's also to do with upholstery and ruching. And, you know, you've you've got pleated valances, pleated helmets. Everything is just max, max, max. And I think people will react to that. Not necessarily this year. We all know that the joy of what we do is it has more longevity. So it'll probably be over the next five years. But I think there'll be a sort of pullback to something that is a bit more quiet. I think it's probably going to still be maximalism to an extent, but like a softened version of it. And I think that, to be honest, it's probably... You know, when you walk around, a, it's so easy because to see rooms as 
Instagram and Pinterest sort of powerful images. But actually, when you look at a whole house, you know, we might have, you know, a mustard um, room in a house, you know, sort of painted. But actually, People the rest of the house has calm elements. But it's those rooms that get photographed yeah. or that are picked up and mm. they start becoming a thing. Yeah. So I think actually, right. it's probably the general... That's the problem with Instagram. Yeah, exactly. So that general look of a house, which is that softened, pared-back version of maximism that we are all doing is actually probably more what, what is going to come through. That mm. sort of, you know, that actually it's that feel of the complete house that is, is a bit more gentle. Well, I want to thank you all so much. It's been so enlightening. And I know that our audience is really going to appreciate this because we Americans, as I said, do love British style. And you guys are pushing it ahead, often very softly and in very sensitively done, very ways, but you're making it fresh and modern. And as you all said comfortable and i think it's something that we could look to americans are great at big drama and all that but i think a lot of people especially in this day and age with post covid and people want to live i think a more gentle and comforting life and you guys are really all been so inspiring in that way so i want to thank my guests uh, nicole salveson and mary graham of salveson graham and emma pope Cock and Bunny Turner of Turner Pocock. So thank you all. Thank you. And thank everyone for listening to the Cherish Podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time. <laughs>